A wild shootout at the Washington, D.C. police headquarters, at least three are dead. Jesse Helms regrets his claim that President Clinton needs bodyguards to visit North Carolina military bases. And the stock market this Thanksgiving week is a turkey. It fell almost 100 points. From NBC News, this is NBC Nightly News with Tom Brokaw. Good evening. Guns in Washington, D.C. One of the deadliest combinations in America today. Gunfire echoed through the police headquarters. Well, Mike was my uh, two years younger than me and um, my only brother. I have a younger sister. But uh, Mike, when I was growing up, we moved every two years. And my, I don't know particularly why, but we moved constantly. And so my greatest memory or largest memory of growing up is walking up the front steps of a new school every two years. And part of that is as, as I was walking up the steps, Back here behind me on the side was Mike. That's Brian Miller. For 25 years, he's been an activist to prevent gun violence, working in two state capitals that have very different attitudes about the issue, Trenton, New Jersey, and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Miller's had some major victories that won national attention, and he's had some defeats that left him grinding his teeth in frustration. But he's never given up. He can't because of what happened to his brother Mike 25 years ago. When Miller measures the gap between his experiences in the two state houses, the thrill of victory in Trenton, the agony of gridlock in Harrisburg, he sees one big explanation gerrymandering. I'm your host, Chris Satulo. And today, we're going to look at how gerrymandering can affect that group of passionate people known as advocates by thwarting some causes while supercharging others. This is Draw the Lines, the podcast that's out to slay the gerrymander. The people have the right to alter and reform. The people have the right if you are a centrist or a moderate in a district that is overwhelmingly partisan, you really don't have a chance to win. There is no path to victory for Trump in Pennsylvania, except we won. He saw the word homicide and opened the door. It was the wrong door, but people were going to die. You have the uh, Speaker of the House at North Carolina who comes out and says, this is a 10-3 Republican congressional map because I don't think I can draw an 11-2 congressional map. And I thought, is this, is this legal? I mean, and who would say it? Who would say it in public like this? That basically strapped this case to a rocket. I feel like really almost anybody could draw a better map than that. You know, sometimes the answer to the problem is a really obvious one lying in front of you. It's the lines. Today, gunfire echoed through the police headquarters of the nation's capital. And when it finally stopped, at least three people were dead. We have the latest now from NBC national correspondent Bob Kerr. Whether your issue is tax reform, school funding, environmental quality, transportation, or criminal justice, those contorted election districts drawn to protect incumbents and favor one party make it so much harder to get what you want, whether it's from Washington, D.C., or your own state capital. Brian Miller's issue is gun violence. Much of a difference. Do you still support 
uh, ban on assault weapons. Uh, absolutely. My, as you know, my brother was killed with an assault yes. pistol. But, but um, and in a moment, he'll talk about his very different experiences in the state capitol on the banks of the Delaware River and the one on the banks of the Susquehanna. But to really understand what drives Miller, what caused him to leave a globe-trotting career selling things such as luxury boats to the super-rich, you need to know a little bit more about his kid brother, Mike. Mike went to law school and uh, got a degree. He, uh, he decided he, he liked FBI work and wanted to try it, so he went in the FBI and uh, worked there for, I don't know, 15 years, something like that. Um, he has had two children, uh, my, my only niece and nephew, and uh, I'm still close with them, I'm happy to say, and his wife. I'm actually educated to be in business or in international uh, economics or whatever. But um, in uh, November 1994, my brother, who was working at uh, D.C. police headquarters, he was an FBI agent on detail, um, was was one of three law enforcement officers shot and killed by a man who walked into D.C. police, police headquarters with him, concealed because it was small enough to conceal it under his jacket, assault pistol, a Mac-10. 30-bullet clip, opened a door, opened fire, killed my brother with the first bullet, and then killed two other officers, and he was killed in the gunfight. It started around 3.30 this afternoon on the third floor of D.C. Police Headquarters in the Criminal Investigation Division. We had an incident involving a multiple shooting. Six people were shot. Three of these individuals may be dead. Mike's death was... Uh, a life-changing experience for me. Um, I uh, had left the church. I'm Presbyterian. I spent many years not going to church, not being involved in any faith or faith activities. And uh, it was something that I, I needed. Uh, I needed God. And, uh, and I, so I started going to church and involved myself with a pastor and and uh, and learning about uh, started reading the Bible all that stuff and um, it's been a wonderful experience and I need it today. My son uh, Zach, who was seven at the time, I was traveling around the world in international business, gone for you know a couple weeks at a time, and leaving was uh, always a little difficult because he didn't like his old man going away for a couple weeks. When Mike was killed, and, and Zach and Mike were, were good buddies, when Mike was killed, uh, Zach started to really hate me going away. And, um, and it, was, it was a problem. And I don't blame Zach at all for it. And uh, so, um, so that's, I kind of, I switched my career basically so that I wasn't traveling. And uh, the fact of, that made it easier to get involved in gun violence prevention is, as a, as a career. Hello, I'm Brian Miller. This is my niece, Dale Miller. She lost her father. I lost my brother. And a massacre that occurred just on the other side of the hill here, at the district building. In November 1994, when a man came into Washington, D.C. police headquarters, which is a place I would say, if you were intent on mayhem, you would avoid. But he walked in and went up to the second floor and opened a door and started firing. And when the firing was done, Mike was dead. FBI Special, Special Agent Mike Miller and two of his colleagues were dead as well. 
And since that day, our family has been involved as much as we can in trying to make sure the same thing doesn't happen to other people. Mike was killed with a When gun. Mike was killed, was Miller was living in Haddonfield, New Jersey. And before he knew it, he was leading an organization called Cease Fire NJ, which began racking up some significant legislative victories in Trenton. Uh, we actually got a lot done, I'm happy to say. And I think we were, in terms of a state-based gun violence prevention group, probably the most effective in the country. We had a legislation to limit uh, individuals to the purchase of no more than a single handgun in any 30-day period, commonly known as one handgun a month. Um, we've got uh, we've got uh, increased penalties for illegal use of guns and tra- uh, gun trafficking. We managed to get uh, a law through that uh, hasn't gone through in it, into its full effect, actually, to eventually require that all new handguns sold in the state of New Jersey be what we call childproof handguns. Other people call them smart guns. Basically, they have owner recognition technology built into them so they wouldn't work for a teen teen interested in suicide to pick up dad's gun or child and uh, also would significantly diminish gun trafficking because there's no point in trying to traffic a gun that won't work unless it's in the hands of the authorized user. In other words, in the late 90s and early 2000s, the New Jersey legislature, prodded by Ceasefire NJ, was passing some pretty serious gun violence prevention measures. They exceed what most lawmakers have been able to do lately, even in the wake of Newtown. The majority of those who died today were children. Uh, Beautiful little kids between the ages of 5 and 10 years old. And Charleston. I remember my son saying, Mama, he shot me in the head. And Orlando. Okay, okay. and where are the weapons now? He's got it in his hand. He's reloading. He's reloading. And San Bernardino. Multiple shots fired. East San Bernardino, multiple shots fired. We need medical aid. Copy. And Las Vegas. Upstairs, Mandalay Bay, halfway up. I see the shots coming from Mandalay Bay. And Parkland. What's the thing? I shouldn't be going through this. That's my school. Like, this is my daily life. I shouldn't have to feel like that. And Pittsburgh. It's a very horrific crime scene. It's one of the worst that I've seen, and I've been on some plane crashes. It's, it's very bad. Why is that? Well, I think you can get things done in New Jersey. Um, uh, I think there's an attitude in, in Trenton in the state uh, among the electorate as well that uh, change is not necessarily a bad thing. And in fact, uh, I think New Jerseyans uh, actually in some way relish the idea of being a little bit ahead of the curve uh, in terms of uh, social change and so on. So. Uh, it was a matter of, of course, doing lots of work and lots of uh, lobbying and lots of building support and lots of press events and all sorts of the sort of things that you do in advocacy. But if you do those things and you have a, a good cause, a good reason to, to for change, you can do it in New Jersey. And we did. Eventually, Miller was lured across the Delaware to work with a group called Ceasefire PA. Riding high off his time in Trenton, he was in for a series of rude shocks in the part of Pennsylvania that people call the T. It's totally different on the uh, Pennsylvania side of the Delaware River, and uh, it's very difficult in Harrisburg. My opinion, Pennsylvania is, whereas I think New Jersey is a change agent in many ways, uh, um, Pennsylvania is absolutely a status quo state. 
Miller found that the hundred-mile distance between Trenton and Harrisburg could sometimes feel like a hundred light years. As far as guns go, gun policy and so on, um, I think the biggest problem is actually that there had been no advocacy on the issue in Pennsylvania for, well, forever, frankly, and it was new in the early 2000s. Um, the, the gun lobby and the in the guise of the National Rifle Association, if you will, um, basically had the ground to itself for forever. And, uh, and legislators who um, are generally not immediately open to things, especially change, are, are still are so used to the NRA being, uh, in, being by itself in terms of advocacy about guns so that in many ways the NRA has really never had to pay, spend a lot of money, spend a lot, do a lot of work. They ruled the ground. They didn't need to plow it. Miller discovered that the gerrymandering of the Pennsylvania General Assembly served to blunt the tools in his advocate's toolbox. The way you bring about change in advocacy, no secret, is carrots and sticks. If you have the ability to cause pain for a, a politician or an incumbent um, or have something that you can present that's positive for him. Mm-hmm. And that's typically votes. Um, so you can do – it's very important to lobby. It's very important to write letters. It's very important to do all these things that you do, advocacy. But frankly, the elections are the way that you bring about change. And um, because Pennsylvania is so incredibly gerrymandered, uh, people in office don't – they just assume they're going to get reelected, and there's very little challenge to them because the districts have been designed for to get them reelected. That's the whole purpose. So it's very, very difficult to get them to listen because they 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 know you don't have a, either carrots or sticks for them. Really, because every politician's main goal is to get reelected, and if you can't affect that, then you're just knocking your head against the wall, and, and that's, that's what's so difficult. And if you cite national polls that show huge majorities of Americans favor the measures you're pushing, well, that gets you nowhere. Why? Miller thinks gerrymandering is definitely one reason. If you've owned the field, as the NRA has in many ways for decades, that's because of large part of, uh, of gerrymandering then the NRA can dictate in many ways what happens. You know, we see a lot about they use money without a doubt for uh, strategically used donations to bolster their effect. But it's more basic to that and it's that legislators do not fear the other side, our side. They do fear the NRA. and Because the NRA is very clear if you're not on their side and they'll come to your office and tell you this, then we're, they're going to go after you in the election. They do use sticks and carrots very well. Miller has spent enough time around lawmakers to know that many keep a kind of double books, one set of statements for the public, a very different set of views when no cameras are around. They'll tell you behind the closed door, yes, what you're asking for, whether it's universal background checks or one handgun a month or whatever, registration of guns, whatever. Yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. I don't own a gun. I, I, if I could, I would vote for it. But I can't because it's going to threaten my ability to get reelected, not from so much from the Democrats, but from a uh, candidacy from the right that's supported by 
not just the NRA, but but right wing, very heavily money groups like the Koch brothers and and so on and so forth. So gerrymandering in that sense makes it doubly difficult to get anything done in Harrisburg. Worn down by slamming his head against marble walls in Harrisburg, a few years back, Miller decided to change strategies to play a longer game, relying on a very ancient ally. What do we want? Sign the code! What do we want? Sign the code! This is a rare sight these days, protesters outside a gun shop. It's called Delia's and it's in North Philadelphia. Bless all of us. The organizers are religious leaders from many different faiths. His current advocacy group is called Heeding God's Call to End Gun Violence. So these pastors who have preached against gun violence from the pulpit have joined an interfaith group called Heeding God's Call in cities in Pennsylvania and Maryland, and they've taken their message to the streets. It's aimed at gun store owners, and it asks them to sign a code of conduct designed to stop... I have, over the years, uh, come to the conclusion that in terms of national change as well as as state-based change, the thing that's missing in the gun violence prevention movement is the American faith community, which has led virtually every other movement for social change. It hasn't led the movement to bring the United States in, in, a, in a place where we're similar to the rest of the developed world, namely, instead of losing 35,000 people to gun violence each year, we'd lose hundreds. With Heeding God's Call, Miller spends much less time in Harrisburg, more in city streets and suburban sanctuaries. Heeding God's Call's signature program is the Memorial to the Lost, which helps churches put up a collection of crosses on their properties, equal to the number of people lost to gun violence in the home county in the previous year. Each cross is draped with a T-shirt bearing the name of one victim. It's become a powerful way to help a community have a new conversation about gun violence. So we have a bunch of different activities that are intended to, to if you will, attract people of faith without being uh, totally confrontational. We're not part of the he said, he said between the organizations like <clears throat> the Brady Campaign and and the NRA, but uh, but we do bring people into the movement, and so that uh, eventually they can make the choice to to vote the correct way, so that we can change the legislature. The new group has had a few wins. A rogue gun shop got closed in Philly. Other gun sellers signed on to its code of conduct, but nothing much in Harrisburg or Washington. Doesn't the dearth of action since Parkland, in particular? depress Miller. I actually think there's been change and and it is beginning to accelerate. Now, it's not yet in Washington. And unfortunately, that's where the media is located. So all the news is nothing gets done in Washington. That's true on guns to date. But if you look beyond the Beltway and see states like New Jersey and New York and Colorado and uh, the West Coast and so on. There has been major change in the, in all of those places, Illinois, um, and and in my experience, things don't happen in Washington until either there's some massive disaster like Katrina, or momentum is built in the states. One after another, state adopts a particular important measure, and then it becomes overwhelming, and they, things happen in Washington. 
You'll notice that Pennsylvania is not on his list of places where underreported progress is happening. Though the state has a new congressional map, it still has the same state legislative maps that have consistently delivered large, NRA-leaning majorities in both chambers of the General Assembly, even in elections otherwise considered a blue wave. But Miller is a stubborn man, above all, in hope. I'm optimistic because demographically, I think things favor, uh, favor our side in that, and I have no problem with hunting, and we don't have any problem in the gun violence prevention movement with hunting, but hunters are the target market for the NRA and so on. And hunting has declined each year over the last few decades. So they're losing their target market. They're losing the guys who buy all the, the magazines and who send in their dues and so on. And frankly, I find it encouraging what has happened with uh, gay marriage and uh, the reaction, for instance, to uh, what's going on right now with uh, all the issues over men of power using that power to, uh, to sexually abuse women. Uh, this is a huge change, too, and it's sudden. And I think that that's possible in the, with, as far as gun violence in the next 10, 15 years. Mike's murder, the frustrations of fighting the gerrymander in Harrisburg, the struggles of keeping afloat a tiny faith-based nonprofit that's trying to play the long game. None of these challenges seem to dim Brian Miller's zest for his cause. Why is that? He says advocacy keeps him close to the little brother he lost a quarter century ago. I've met lots of people in what I do who suffered similar incidents to, uh, to what my family did. And I see lots of different responses to it. And the only response I've seen to it that's successful in terms of living a life and, and uh, that is not completely wrapped up in tragedy and trauma is to do, get involved in, in activism and in seeking change and charity and things like that that are, that are self-affirming. And uh, that's been critical for me. That's how I get up in the morning and get excited about what I'm going to do that day. That's it for this episode of Draw the Lines. A quick personal note. I've known Brian Miller a long time, from back in the days when I was running the Philadelphia Inquirer's editorial page and he was doing his job as an advocate with Ceasefire NJ. That meant he endlessly badgered me to take stronger stance about gun violence. Over the years, I've watched him experience the drip, drip, drip of frustration involved in trying to push useful change through Harrisburg. That's why, when we were looking for an advocate who could make vivid for you the toll that gerrymandering takes on policy progress, I thought of him. But it could have been other people. It could have been the ones who work for fair school funding, or to protect our environment from being ravaged by unmonitored drilling, or those who believe trains and buses should be part of a sane transportation strategy, or who think rightly that their school taxes are insanely high, or that lawmakers waste too much money, or that packing our prisons with people who didn't commit any violent crime is a dumb idea. This podcast is dedicated to all of them and all the people for whom they advocate. 
Draw the Lines is a production of the Committee of 70, a nonpartisan, nonprofit good government group based in the birthplace of democracy, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Our producer is Joel Patterson. This episode was recorded both at the studios of WXPN Public Radio in Philly and at Kelly Writer's House on the University of Pennsylvania campus. Thanks to Mike Vasilikos of WXBN and to Zach Cardner of Writer's House for all their help on this project. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. This podcast is made possible by grants from the William Penn Foundation, the Hillman Foundation, and the Heinz Endowments. Next time on Draw the Lines, David Daly, the man who wrote the book on gerrymandering, will talk about how he discovered hope for saving democracy in America. So until then, let me leave you with this thought. It is our house. It should be our mouse. Let us slay the gerrymander. Mm -hmm.